This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. shopping days left everybody i am glenn the geek from ocala florida to what no, I'm just <laughs> um i'm jamie jennings and i am coming at you from solving california and you're listening to horses in the morning on the horse radio network for december 12th episode 2075 brought to you by horselovers.com good morning horse world hey santa what's shaking man By the way, congratulate me this Christmas. I'm going for it. No antidepressants. Somebody ought to teach that little humbug some Christmas spirit. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We only have a few shows left this year. Hard to believe. It's the end of 2018. You're and counting them down. Counting them down. <laughs> Vacation time. Uh, you know what? Uh, there are people spending money at Christmas this year. And they did a study where they showed pet owners are spending. Let's see how you and I do here with this one. Pet owners are spending an average. I don't think this includes horses, by the way. Of $237 on their pets this year for the holidays. Now, that's up from 2015, where it was $98, an increase of 100% in just three years. Total pet spending in 2018 was expected to reach $77 billion. I can tell you that we are not spending $237 on our dog this year. Okay. Now, I'm, I have questions. Yeah. What are they talking about? Are they talking about $237 on Gifts. Christmas presents that yes. they put under the tree? Or because, like, that does nothing to, like, board, shoes, hay, things like that. I mean, we kill them in the December spending, right? That's, that's right. But I think they're just talking about, you know, buying a new bowl, buying clothing. Who spends $237 on their cat? <laughs> well, it did Nobody. say in the article that the average income of the people spending that kind of thing on their pets was $70,000 or more. Okay. Well, I, I just... That's I a pampered wouldn't... poodle. That is a pampered poodle if you're spending two. I can't even imagine what I'd spend $237 on for my dog. I don't I know. I mean, like, my dogs need food and veterinary medicine. Like, that's it. Yeah, I don't I need and collars with a tag on it. Let's see, uh, those are four dollars, you know, printed at the local pet store. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty that's crazy. crazy. It's pretty crazy. It's hard to believe. If this. you are spending two hundred thirty-seven dollars on your pet or more or somewhere around there, can you please drop me a note at Jamie at horseradionetwork.com? I need to talk. I need to find out what you're doing. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I do have some expensive pet gifts too. If we have time later in the day, but we have to go to Jemmy and find out what is coming up on today's show. On today's show in our Horse Health Report, Dr. Troy Herzl joins us to talk about joint disease and ringbone. Oh, goodness. One of those mornings, guys. Sally brings us Heels Down's Best of 2018. Auditor Rhonda comes through with a product review of Pretty Sweet Sweater. And then we'll share a whole discussion about hoof issues. So you don't want to miss any of it. It's going to be a packed show as always today, guys. And speaking of today, today is National Gingerbread House Day. So I want everyone 
to build a gingerbread house that looks like your barn and then post it up for the whole world to see. Ooh. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. <laughs> I actually did a gingerbread <laughs> barn like a week ago, and I have a picture of it, so no, I can do that. Didn't. Make a post. I did. I did. And let me tell you something. Martha, you moved to Oklahoma did... and you become Martha Stewart. Oh, no. No, Walmart had them for sale for like $8, and they were already put together. You just decorated them. So I gave the children the icing. <laughs> That must look interesting. Perfect. <laughs> so uh, look at you becoming, a, you know, Susie Homemaker there in Oklahoma. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. It's a Pinterest fail. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of these. Out to somebody very special to the Horse Radio Network, and that's Karen from Kentucky Performance Products. It's her birthday today. I haven't known she's in Wellington with Reese, so I hope they have fun down there and have a little party today. Uh, But we love Karen, and uh, happy birthday. My daily Winnie goes out to Colin. Hello, Colin. Colin is a yearling cob. He looks like a like a little tiny gypsy vanner, you know, one of those uh, horses in England that actually was loose. And he was young, and he's a pony, and he was abandoned on the streets. And poor Colin, nobody was there to take care of him. His hooves were split, his hair, he was infested with lice. And poor Colin was going to, he learned when the children got out of school, and he would go over and wait by the gate and take any handouts they would give him food wise. It's really cold over there right now. And there's you know, no grass or anything. Nobody could figure out where Colin came from. Nobody cared for him. He started going to local barns and just hanging out outside of the, the farms just to kind of see other horses. They said not to even try to get in to eat their food, but basically they said, and this is the horse welfare said that Colin was in such a sorry state, lice infestation, hooves were splitting, and he was a risk of injuring himself or causing an accident. The local like town council reported him. Nobody claimed him, but they left him out there. (laughs) (laughs) Come and get him. So finally, weeks later, the horse world horse welfare gets involved and they take him. And oh my God, he is the cutest thing ever now, and they're adopting him. He's the face of their Christmas thing. But I, I, I will post the link to the story because he is just a sad, hairy mess, and now he is cute as a Dickens, and you would want him. He looks like a little mini Gypsy Vanner. Oh, my <laughs> God, he's so cute. Very so cool. I'll post that. A good rescue story. I just needed a happy daily Winnie. Yay, good job. Good job. Hey, I found what the rich people are spending uh what they're buying when they're spending all that money on their pets. What? So how about, uh, these are the most expensive gifts. Uh, some of the most expensive, I I love how they say this luxury gifts for pets this year. How about a dog and cat bowl by Versace? Is it Versace? Versace. Versace. Yep. That's uh, 600 pounds. Um, It is not made of anything, really. It just looks kind of fancy, and that's it. Looks like marble, actually, is what this looks like, and it's 600 pounds. How about... But it's Versace, Glenn. Versace. 
Uh, how about Louis Vuitton dog carrier? I actually saw one of these at the airport uh, when we were at the airport over the summer heading to Alaska. We saw one of these. This uh, Louis Vuitton dog carrier, by the way, is obviously for little tiny, you know, barky dogs. Uh, it is beautiful and it will cost you 1,800 pounds. For this Louis Vuitton, which looks like a oh, I'm like that's a really heavy Louis Vuitton. (laughs) (laughs) What's that about twenty two hundred dollars for your dog carrier? How about a ball gown for your dog for the ultimate in luxury doggy fashion? It's crafted from silk and embellished with thousands of Swarovski crystals. Your dog will definitely be the belle of the ball for a mere forty thousand pounds. Get out. That's not a real thing. Yep. Is that for like Paris Hilton's Tinkerbell? Like little, <laughs> yep, her little exactly. chihuahua? That's exactly her. Yeah, that's a, or, or, or a Kardashian dog. And then the ultimate in dog fancy. Diamonds are a girl's best friend and your dog deserves them too. Well, this luxury dog collar fits that. With 52 carats, it's 1,600 diamonds, and you can buy it for the mere price of $3.2 million. Then you're making me mad. (laughs) Why? Even the richest moron is not going to spend $3 million on a dog collar, are they? Uh, They make them for a reason. So probably the answer is yes. They do. And then so many people that need food. (laughs) Little Colin (laughs) needs that dog collar. Yes. Which he's going to yank off the first chance he gets and leave it in the road. Uh, yep. So that's what's going to happen to that. And then every year we talk about the list, the 12 days of Christmas. Well, this year, if you bought all this stuff, on, I almost said it. If you bought all the stuff on the list, it would be cost you $39,000 this year. It's what up stuff? $450 from last year. The 12 days of Christmas, like a partridge in a pear tree, the turtle doves, the French hens, the calling birds, all of those. Ten- Lords Aleep. How do you buy Lord Aleep? I guess you rent those. I'm not sure you can buy them. It's probably illegal to buy the ladies dancing too. But what do you think the most expensive? <laughs> That's not illegal. <laughs> they sell those everywhere. <laughs> so what do you think the <laughs> what do you think the uh, most expensive thing on the list for the twelve days is? Uh, drummers drumming. You know, that was a good guess. That is a good guess, but... I was just trying to think of... (laughs) They're only coming in, because there's 12 of them, right? They're only coming in at $3,000. Your Lords of Leaping will run you ten grand. And by the way, the ladies dancing, you can get 10 Lords of Leaping, uh, and it costs you a lot more than the ladies dancing at $7,500. And then... See, the, there's an equal inequality in pay between the genders. The Lords of Leaping should not be more expensive than ladies dancing. Well, maids of milking, eight of those will only cost you fifty-eight bucks. So, <laughs> so apparently okay. pretty cheap to get some maids of milking. How about the swans of swimming? That would be your most expensive thing at thirteen thousand oh, yeah. dollars. So swans are really expensive. Are. I actually looked into getting some swans oh, really? for my house, <laughs> but mute swans. They're a really special variety of swan called mute swans, and they're like three thousand dollars a piece. Wow. Yeah. And I they, was like, I want to. And then if they fly away, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you could just wave to your $3,000 as they're going to Bye-bye. the neighbor's pond. <laughs> Come back next summer. Yeah. How about some ducks? How about some ducks? That would probably be a better <laughs> I idea. I want mute swans. They're really pretty. I saw them in a zoo one time and I loved them. <laughs> All right. It is time for this. It's time for the Horses in the Morning Horse Health Report. 
when our intrepid hosts, together with an unlucky member of the equine veterinary trade, attempt to inform, enlighten, or terrify horse owners everywhere into funding a Kickstarter campaign to mass-produce Kevlar-coated, bubble-wrap-lined equine products. And I am very excited to talk to Dr. Troy Herthel because he, you are actually right down the street from me. Good morning. Oh, good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm I'm over at Flag is Up Farms, actually broadcasting from Monty Roberts' place. And and I actually one of the times I was here, I went and toured your amazing facility, Alamo Pintado. Oh well, well, I'm glad. Thank you very much for the for the nice compliment. But uh, yeah, funny you're just down the street. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right down the street. So anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about arthritis in the coffin joint and ring bone. So I guess you know you hear a lot of people say, "Oh, he's got ring bone." What the heck is ring bone? Sure. So so ring bone is is kind of an old colloquial term um, for basically arthritis and. Uh, there's there's kind of two versions of that. There's um, what we call high ring bone or, or low ring bone, and so um, the most common would be would be the higher ring bone, which is involving the pasture joint. Um, but basically, it's just a, another term for arthritis. And uh, the reason why they use the term ring bone is because um, in, in pretty advanced stages, uh, they get quite a bit of bone proliferation, and so they kind of get this ring appearance basically above the coronary band. And, and that's where the term comes from. So, so what is that ring that you see? Well, because when yeah. you look at the, the pastern, it's like wider. Sure. Sure. So what basically what, what the, the horse is trying to do or the body's trying to do is if there is some instability or, or some uh, damage to the cartilage um, with arthritis, Basically, the body tries to uh, fuse that joint itself to stabilize it and, and to, to improve their comfort. And so they start laying down more bone, and so they get a lot of thickening uh, of, the, of the joint capsule as well as just uh, getting a lot of, of kind of what we call periarticular bone formation. And, and that's what causes that kind of enlargement that, that people uh, you know, call ring bone. So is it more involved with the coffin bone or the pastern joint? Well, so both both can definitely be involved. Um, the the more typical ring bone would be involving the pastern joint, um, so just kind of right above, not too far above the coronary band. Um, they do get uh, ring bone down in the coffin joint, which is actually a little bit more problematic, um, just because it, the coffin joint is is a little bit different joint than the pastern. The coffin joint has a lot of uh, motion to it. It's it's more of a high motion joint, whereas the the um, pastern joint is is a little bit lower of a more of a low motion joint. Um, so the way that we treat those is a little bit different for sure. Okay, so you said that, uh, and this might be a little too heavy for you, Glenn, in the morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm just really <laughs> fascinating. So when you say that the bone is laying down, trying to remodel and and to create basically non movement. In the pastern joint, does that fix the lameness or does that make it worse? Well, so all, every every horse is a little bit different, and every horse's pain tolerance is is uh, you know definitely different. And so, basically, the body is is trying to fuse that. That's kind of the ultimate goal for the for the pastern joint. Um, 
horses are able to have fusion done, whether it's surgically or medically or or just uh, naturally if, if, if they're able to. And uh, those horses can actually, their, their lameness can respond and uh, resolve qu- quite well. Um, and, and so in those cases where we actually have to go in and surgically fuse them, especially if we're involving the hind legs, those horses have a very good prognosis for returning to soundness and returning to, to you know, full function. Um, when it is involving the lower joint, the, the coffin joint, if they've got a significant case of arthritis in there, that's much more difficult to manage. Um, and, and a lot of times those horses, if we were to do a surgical procedure on them, that's, that's strictly for just kind of salvage to, to make them at least comfortable enough to, to be a, a retired you know, horse or brood mare or something, something along those lines. Okay, say I had a horse that had the beginning phases of ringbone. What are some things that I can do? You know, as Adequan is a legend, is it? What can I get aggressive on to stop it or reduce it? Yeah, so so all of those things, um, all the nutraceuticals, uh, joint supplementation are, are, are definitely beneficial. Um, the hard thing with with ringbone within the pastern joint is is that is a fairly unforgiving joint, and so once we get some development in there, uh, a lot of times signs typically start to progress, but. Um, you know, treating them uh, aggressively with with uh, joint supplementation. Sometimes these horses need to be on, on a kind of low level anti-inflammatory. Um, as far as the typical kind of joint injections that people think of, a lot of times those uh, don't do as good of a job um, for for the pastern joints. They just tend to be a little bit less forgiving. Um, and so, you know, we do try to, to treat those that way, but a lot of times we don't get as good of a response as, as we might from a, from another joint, such as the hocks or a fetlock joint. Um, and, uh, and kind of there's some newer products on the market um, that, that we've been using that are kind of a, a different type of a joint injection where it's a real long-term uh, lubricant. And uh, these have just recently been, been cleared by the FDA. And so I think that's something in the future. We'll have to see how, how these horses with arthritis and the pasture joints hold up with that type of treatment. Um, but, but definitely... You know, kind of going back to basics with um, making sure that the foot's balanced, the shoeing's correct, uh, making sure that we don't have any issues with confirmation that that we can kind of work with. Um, Those are all kind of really, you know, important key factors when it's real early stage of the game. Well, you mentioned confirmation. Is that one of the the reasons that they get it? Or what are some of the the horses that are most predisposed to uh, uh, this problem? Yeah, so so basically any any type of breed or, or um you know type of discipline can be predisposed to, to getting some type of arthritis. Um definitely our higher end horses such as, you know, on the English side, the jumpers, dressage horses, those those horses definitely have a higher incidence of, of getting arthritis in their pasterns. Um and then on the western side, the you know, western performance horses are, are also known for this just just because of their job. Um and so as far as the different causes, there's there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Uh, a lot of, you know, probably the most common would be just the typical kind of wear and tear for, a, for an athletic horse. Um, there are issues where they can have just an acute injury to the pasture joint, which can damage the cartilage and kind of basically start the process. Uh, there's there's developmental issues where they can have some abnormalities as foals or weanlings and uh, 
have a like an OCD type of lesion or or a bone cyst in there that can kind of you know predispose them to to having further joint disease later on in life. Uh, and then you know other things just as as the stabilizing ligaments and tendons and uh, around that joint. If there's any type of damage there, that that can also you know kind of start the process of having a little instability and and then develop an arthritis. So basically what I'm hearing is that we need to bubble wrap the horses and put them in a stall and pet them through the bars. <laughs> is that yeah, it? That's, that's pretty, well, that's pretty much that, that's a given for basically everything with the horse. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. yeah. So fortunately, I mean, the, the instance level is, is you know, it, it's one of the more kind of common, um, you know, locations for them to develop a little arthritis, but, um, you know, overall, a, a lot of horses, uh, you know, a lot of times we'll have horses come in for lameness and, and they'll have some evidence of some changes within the pastern joint, but um, it's not necessarily where the lame examination um, and, uh, and, you know, and then on the later. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was asking, what is this new drug that you were talking about? What's it called? So we can ask our vets about it. Sure. So, so the uh, the new version is is a drug called uh, Noltrex, and um, basically it's a it's what's a what's called like a hydrogel, and so we inject it into joints. It's kind of similar to if you think of it like the hyaluronic acid that we already use, in the sense that it's a lubricating, but it's a little different product, and it gets incorporated within the joint. It's a really long term lubricant, sticks around for a really long time. Um, and so there's there's different names for it, but the the product that's just been um, uh, kind of cleared in the U.S. Is, is a product called Noltrex. That's really exciting, and that's something you can use in all the joints, be it hocks or fetlocks or wherever yeah. you're injecting. Yeah, so so most commonly used in the higher motion joints. Um, and so as far as in our hands, what we've seen, it seems like the fetlock joints have been the ones that have been the most beneficial um, for for what we've uh, observed. Uh, but yes, correct. It, it's a it's a newer uh, product that that can be used in all all of the the joints for injection. Fantastic. That's really cool. Well, I feel like we've covered this topic, so we have a little extra time. I want you to tell everybody a little bit about Alamo Pintado because it is, I mean, I've been to a lot of hospitals and aside from Kentucky, I think this is the most state of the art facility in uh, probably in the Western United States. Well, I, I appreciate the compliment. It's very, very nice. But uh, yeah, so our practice um, uh, was originally developed in 1972. Um, it was actually uh, my father and my mother that, that started the practice as just kind of a two-person team. Now it's grown to to over uh, ten veterinarians, um, of which there's there's a few uh, board certified surgeons, uh, some board certified internal medicine specialists, um, and and that's kind of always been our driving goal as far as trying to stay innovative and um, you know try to provide the absolute best care that we can for our patients and for our clients. Um, so with that, we have a, a, you know, a pretty substantial diagnostic imaging um, uh, segment where we have uh, MRI where we can do it both standing and then we have a higher field magnet where um, we can do studies uh, under general anesthesia. Um, and so we're just kind of a full service uh, hospital here on the central coast of California. And uh, like I said, been around since 1972 and plan to be around for a lot longer. <laughs> so. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, it's definitely cool. So what is the website uh, to contact you or to find out more about the hospital? 
Sure. So the the website is just www.alamopintado.com. It's A-L-A-M-O and then P-I-N-T-A-D-O. And uh, we're also, you know, on Facebook and other social media outlets. Um, but uh, that's that's probably the best spot to get a little more information about our practice. Well, very cool. And now there's another certified Monty Roberts instructor that works at your clinic. So tell Courtney I said hi. Oh, will do. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we appreciate it. And I look forward to hearing more from you later. Sounds good. Have a, have a wonderful day. Thank you very you much. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Glenn, are you are you awake? Yes, I am here. Uh, nice uh, of him to get up that early. <laughs> right? It's so funny that it's you're out there crazy. and he was right down the street. And that was not planned. That was just... No. That, I mean, that's the hospital that I toured one of the times I was here because it is just like the highest end. And like I said, there's one of the girls that instructed me. She would work overnights at Alamo, come down and sleep, and then teach us after lunch. Courtney. So like it's, it's very close. I mean, right down the street. So very cool. Very cool. Well, let's do this. Let's, um, let's take a break for a product review that Jennifer did with one of our auditors. And then we'll come back. We have to hear all about you. Apparently you told me before the show started that you had an exciting day. Oh my God. I'd like the best day ever. So we'll talk about that. We have the final study show of the year, a holiday edition coming up. And then Sally from Heels Down will be here. Plus I wanted to mention that we've been getting a lot of listeners and the auditors in the audit room. I don't know if you've been seeing these posts about people who have horses whose feet are just uh, rotting off because of the wet weather. People have mud, you know, and they have ice and snow, and it's just been wet as heck everywhere. So people are having all kinds of foot problems with their horses. We did a interview a couple years ago with a guy, uh, a fer- the Cornell guy. Remember Steve Krauss from Cornell from the uh, Farrier program? Well, he did a whole thing on wet weather hoof issues, and we're going to talk about that at the end of the show. We're going to tag that on to the end of the show. So we have a lot coming up yet on today's show, but now let's hear the product review with our legacy listener, Rhonda. Well, it's product review time. Woohoo! My favorite part of the show where I get to sit down with uh, dedicated listeners who are testing products uh, that we provide to them through horselovers.com and they tell us how much they love them, sometimes how much they don't love them, um, and whether or not they think others should try them too. And I'm sitting down this, e- this evening with uh, faithful listener, Rhonda Crabtree. How are you doing, Rhonda? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. Now, for those who are new listeners to Horse Radio Network and have, have maybe not uh, heard you before, because you've been on our shows on various occasions doing various wonderful things, give us the brief rundown of your horsey self. Oh, uh, I've been riding for... 34 years. Um, I ride dressage now, but I did all the hunter jumper and pony club and everything growing up. Um, I have a 19 year old um, Canadian warm blood and he's fabulous. Yay, because he is fabulous. (laughs) He is, and especially now that he's 19, he's extra fabulous because now he knows what I wanted all along. <laughs> See, they do get smart when they get in, you know, that 15 to 17 age, they really start to develop some brain cells, don't they? They do. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. So what product did you get to test out for us? Okay. I've got the Noble Outfitters Ladies Home Run Crew sweater. 
That's a mouthful. <laughs> it's a long title. So um, is it actually a sweater or is it a sweatshirt that they call a sweater? It is actually a sweater oh. made of wool. Oh. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love sweaters. <laughs> and living in Canada, you're an ideal person to test out the Home Run Crew sweater. Now, describe to us what this sweater looks like. It is two, excuse me, sorry, two-tone gray, um, which makes it look really nice. Um, it's actually the arms and the back are dark, and then the front is a little lighter, and so it gives you a bit of a waist as well. Hmm. Um, yeah, apparently it looked quite nice on me because when I tested it, I, had, I asked people, how's this look now? Oh, that's a really nice sweater. So, um, and it's got the long sleeves that you can put over your thumb. Oh, I like those. Keep you cozy and warm. Yeah. Now, so, so, it so it, to me, it looks like a baseball jersey almost, the way the, the color mm. blocks are on it. And, yeah, and it, it yes. is rather figure fl- flattering in the pictures, but you can never tell by pictures. So it seems to, to uh, warrant that photograph by the way you say now when you ordered yours you ordered the size you thought you would wear did you find the fit to run bigger or smaller or just about what you thought i ordered a medium um and i think normally i'm more of a small but i now i don't remember if i looked up the sizing chart i think i was pretty particular before i ordered it and it was the right size for me okay we have found um, if we compare various and sundry um, reviews of Noble Outfitters products, when in doubt, um, order up a size because it, they, the brand as a whole has a propensity to run a little bit small. So you were, mm-hmm. you were absolutely on the right track. Um, yeah. Now, since you've had this for a little while, you've had an opportunity to launder it, being a sweater. Yes. How did that work out? It is hand wash only. Ooh. So, which is one of the only, I'm not too sure how many horse girls want to be um, hand-washing, but if you're good at that, and I did try it, I hand-washed it, and it came out fine, hand-washed it and laid flat to dry, and it still, it didn't it didn't do anything strange, it still looks good. It didn't, it didn't shrink up to be Barbie doll size? No, and I was tempted to throw it in the washing machine just to see. Just to see what would happen. So that I could, <laughs> but I, I liked it too much to... To um, do that, well, yeah, that's, that's a that's a resounding review right there. That you liked it enough to hand wash it, and it says here, I'm looking at the horselovers.com website that it is five percent alpaca, twenty two percent merino, thirty five percent nylon, and thirty eight percent viscous, whatever that is. So it is a wool blend, which I'm I mm-hmm. suspect would would add to the durability factor. Um. I would think so. Now it's a fairly thin, like it, it's quite, quite thin, and but which is nice because you can fit it under like a fitted jacket or vest too. Yeah, it doesn't look like the big puffy bulky sweater. This looks like the sort of no. sweater you would want to use in a layering system. Yeah. Yep. There we go. Yep. <clears throat> All right. So overall, would you recommend other folks give this this uh, sweater a try? Uh, yeah, it's a nice sweater. My only, the only downside is it's a little itchy. I'm now. If you're good with wool normally, um, then it's great. 
it's not a lot itchy. It's only a little itchy. So mm-hmm. I just put a turtleneck under it. Yeah. I'm and a, then I'm fine. Yes. And people have varying tolerances for knits and wools and the like. So that's, that's sage advice. And mm-hmm. as we record this review on horselovers.com, the Noble Outfitters Ladies Home Run Cruise sweater is available for $36.39. It's available in four colors and one, two, three, four, five, six different sizes. So there's something there to fit you. And you can find it at horselovers.com. And thank you, Rhonda, for spending some time with us this evening and doing a review. And Horse Lovers does continue to have their coupon codes available for our listeners. If you spend $49 with horseloverswithaz.com and put in radio in the coupon box at checkout, you'll get a free Mrs. Pasture's Christmas cookie stocking. And then if you spend more than $99, put HRN, HRN in the coupon box at checkout and get $10 off your order instantly. And those are all available just for our listeners. All right, Jamie, so you have headed out to Monty's place and are hanging around out there where it's warmer than Oklahoma. So what were you up to yesterday? Oh my gosh. What an amazing day. So, uh, the lead up program that I am here to help Debbie and uh, Jerry, the facilitator teach is in the afternoon. It's an after school program. So I had up until about three thirty, four o'clock until the kids got here yesterday, And I thought, what should I do? Well, apparently, uh, Debbie was like, you're going to hang out with dad. That's right. I got to spend all morning with Monty training a particular horse. So he has this, this Mustang named Diego and Diego has been, he says the hardest Mustang that he's ever trained, but he's been gone for about three, four months. So Diego has been turned out in a field and nobody can catch him. He's turned wild. <laughs> and so we set out to, to teach him how to be caught and to want you to catch your horse. And he's done this. There's a university video with a, a polo pony that he does this with. And it was so awesome. Okay. So basically he's out there with another Mustang who's very gentle. And so they have these big pastures, but there's also a smaller sand paddock. And to even get Diego to start this process, we had to catch him. So basically we, after he, I mean, I have, I've made videos and I'll, I'll post them when I have better internet, but the horse, you, Monty walked out into the pasture to get him and he started running. He was like, nope, I am not going to be gentle uh, again. We've all been there. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was like 200 yards away. And the horse is like, what? Nope. Bye. And so we, he finally ran himself into the smaller paddock where I then closed the gate on both of them. I was like, you're toast, big dog. You're toast now. <laughs> so it's um, probably a, a, twice the size of a 50-foot round pin. So it's about 100 square feet of uh, just a square pin. And he ran around quite a bit just with us standing in the middle. But eventually he positioned himself. He would hide behind the other Mustang. And through that, I was able to go over and get just a rope slid over the the nice Mustang Tucker and kind of slide it over Diego's neck, come around the bottom. It's like he didn't see me, you know, and then I was able to to at least get a rope around his neck. Once you have the rope around his neck, he's kind of, he kind of like, uh, he's like, okay, I'm caught. But we don't want to spend an hour 
to two hours trying to catch them every single time. So the little training technique that we used was I sat out in the, these pastures open to this road that everybody, you know, you lead the horses up and down on this road. So what I did was I had a bucket, like a, a giant pickle bucket of grain, probably, you know, two or three scoops of grain. And we had this little tiny rubber feed tub that we put on the ground and we got the halter on Diego and Monty had the halter on him and Monty lead, you know, does a lot of rubbing on him, gives him a lot of reassurance and he walks out into the road and he stands there and, and Diego's like, wait, what is that? What is that? And Monty's not really paying attention. He's wondering, looking around in the sky, just the horses on the end of the line. Diego's like, hold on. There's grain in this bucket. Is it, I mean, just a, I put just the tiniest little handful of grain in this, in this little Rubbermaid tub that just happens to be lying on the ground. And I mean, who knows what it's doing there, Diego? It's just there. Huh? Diego reaches down. He kind of looks around. He's very suspicious. He looks around. Um, we're not moving. I'm sitting on the truck. I'm looking at the sky. Monty's looking at the, you know, birds or whatever. And Diego's like, there's grain out here. And so he looks down the Rubbermaid tub and he reaches down really slyly and grabs a mouthful. It's only a, only like a, like a dusting of a handful of grain. And he puts his head up and he's like, did anybody see me eat that? And he's chewing. And, and Monty, Monty's like, oh, you know what? I forgot something. Diego, we got to go back in here. And as he walks in there, I go over and I toss another little handful of grain in, in the bucket and Monty takes the halter off, leaves the rope around the neck, rubs them all around. And then, Oh, I remembered what I was going to do. He puts the halter back on and he walks Diego out into the road. And there's no traffic or anything. It's a farm road. And Diego's like, what, what is going on? He's very nervous. And then he's like, wait a second, there's grain. I'm going to steal it. So he sees this little bucket of grain with just a little handful of grain. And he reaches down, and he takes it. And he's like looking at us like, did they see me eat the food? And Monty's like, hmm, I forgot something. Let's go back in. And he takes Diego back in. Then he takes the halter off and he rubs him around. At this point, he kind of lets him go. And he walks, lets him go. Diego runs off. And, but he's still looking at that bucket where I am at this time, walking out and putting another handful of grain in the bucket. And I walk back over and I disappear. I'm sitting on the back of the truck. And Monty gets the halter back on him. And walks him out into the road, opens the gate. Every time we have closed the gate and, and let, we let the horse go. And then we catch the horse. This time he had caught the horse again and opens the gate and walks him out into the road. And he stares at the birds and the trees. And I'm, I'm just kicking the ground. I'm not really doing anything. And Diego's like, wait a second. There's food in isn't, this. Isn't it always fun, too, how it's a revelation every time? Yeah. He's like, wait. <laughs> There's food in there. It's like the first time they've never known. And they'll do that their whole lives. <laughs> I, these videos I took, because I'm sitting there filming his face, basically his face. And you could see him like, look, cut his eyes to the left to me, cut his eyes to the right to money, <laughs> look down at the at the little bowl. He's like, there's there's food in here. Okay, well, I'm going to, nobody's looking. I'm going to eat it real quick. And he gobbles it up and he looks up like, he's not doing it. I didn't do anything. And Monty's like, ah. We got to go back into the pen. I forgot something. And he walks and opens the gate, takes him back in the pen, turns around, closes the gate and releases him. And at this point, Diego's starting to realize when he gets caught, he doesn't get fed. He steals food. Oh, He's a little thief. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. his idea 
And when he gets caught, he gets to steal food. So basically we did this. Oh gosh, we must've done it 25 times. Just, you just have to have the patience of Joe walking around here. So, um, we, we, I mean, we did it 20 times. And so the next step would be to generalize the learning, which is to take him somewhere else. And so we took him to another paddock and turned him out in the sand paddock. And I put the, just accidentally left that same black bucket outside the pasture on the, on the road. Like he must think I'm the biggest idiot. I keep dropping food in some little bowl. Monty walked out there in a new place put the halter on him. It was amazing. This is a horse that we were two. He was 200 yards away and he starts running. And this is, you know, I took a, an hour of just back and forth and back and forth. And, to, and what happens is they start to think I'm really sneaky. I'm getting that food. They don't even know it. And so what you will eventually progress to, because Diego is so suspicious with, with a normal horse, you would take him. And you would take him over to like the tie rack, you know, the, the hitching post. And there'd be like a little thing of food over to the side and you put him on the hitching post and you walk in and you go get your, you know, brushes and, oh, and while you're going the food. to, <laughs> and you, and they're like, Hey, I'm stealing food. This they, is very interesting idiots. because this goes against the way most of us intuitively do it, which is catch the horse and feed him right there. Right. We yeah. give him a treat right there out of our hand or whatever, but you're giving them a treat immediately. Whereas this way kind of makes more sense because it's, it's the horse. The horse is doing it on his own and thinks he's getting away with something, which he, which puts him ahead of the people in his mind. Yeah. Yeah. In his mind, he's not <laughs> submitting. He is more clever than yeah, you. That's right. Because he's he knows you into. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And that's very this, interesting. I've never heard it done this way before. It, it, it takes a lot of patience, you know, and like, like Monty, kept, I was like, yeah, but no matter what day. you do with that horse that can't be caught, it's going to take patience. I mean, it, it's it, going to take yeah. all day. Yeah. yeah. All day to catch your horse. And this took, you know, it was, it was an hour and then we'll do it again today. And, and, and today what he wants to do is to do it a couple of times in this new paddock, take it back to the old paddock. And then we're going to turn him out and see if he can walk up and catch him. Now, and he said that this polo... Oh, sorry, go no, ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I have a, just have a quick question. No, he said that this polo pony that they did it on, um, I mean, it was... She was a mare, and she was just more clever than anybody could even possibly imagine. And the new owner, they finally got her caught, brought her to the farm, Monty did this with her. And the new owner, years later, still lets her steal grain, a little handful of grain, when she brings her up to tie her to the trailer to go do the polo stuff. But... She says she's the first horse at the gate huh. every day. <laughs> like <laughs> me, me, me. I know what I get to steal food. <laughs> it was really interesting because the horses would they, you don't want them to, uh, there's, in my opinion, there's just some horses that can't be fed from the hand. Zeus is one of those horses. Yeah. And I know scooter there's probably ways to click a yeah. scooter, yeah. Zeus, Jacob, the pony, some like Thor. He was as gentle as a kitten taking a treat, you know, hey, just lovely. But man, there's just some horses that you just can't walk up because they will maul you, you know? So what I've taught Groot because I couldn't catch Groot when I first got him was in the round pin. Once I had him, I would pat my leg and I would put an alfalfa cube on my boot the toe of my boot and i would just stand there and he'd walk up to me and you know and then he'd look at my boot 
And so now I can catch him in the pasture by patting my leg and touching my boot. <laughs> He's like, there might be food. Oh, wait, there wasn't this time, but there might be next time. Now, yeah. you couldn't do this, or you probably shouldn't do this if the horse is out with other horses. You need to do this with a horse first time or first day training this out by themselves. Did he say anything about that? No, there was another, there was the other Mustang. Oh, really? We, okay. w- once we had him in the sand paddock, we did put the other one out. Okay. Um, because he, he quit caring about his friend because he's like, I'm not telling Tucker that there's food out here. It's mine. I get to steal it. And he was so unconcerned about his other friend because once we got him, uh, I didn't, we were going in and out of the gate so much. I didn't want Monty to have to worry about Tucker coming in and out of the gate, especially once he realized there's food out there. And so we put him back in the big pasture. Huh. Interesting. So this, this is the first time you had ever done. And by the way, this has to be what, one of the most common things that people run into if you've owned any horses at all over a lifetime. And okay. and it's one of the most common things we run into on really bad ads every Friday is you can't catch this horse, right? I mean, it's, yep. it's one of those that we run into all the time. It's very common, but I've never heard this approach to dealing with it. It was, it was crazy. It was amazing. I mean, I just, that man has the patience. You just, he's like Buddha. You just, I just sat there. Okay. Just breathe and just watch and just relax. And he, and he, you know, this man is 83 years old and he's like running out in the pasture to go get this Mustang. (laughs) And that's his life dream and life goal is like the thing that fulfills him and makes him the happiest is doing things like this, just training horses. It's just his passion. It's, it's certainly not a job. I would think, I mean, it is a job, but it's what he likes to do. Um, and it was so cool to spend the day with him doing that. And and I'll keep you guys up to date on catching Diego. Now, the other thing I did was the lead up, the kids came at around yeah. three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon. And so they come in the room and I, I, I'm, I, they all came from different places, but most of them were referred to us by their therapists and a after school program. And there is a lot of pain in a lot of these kids, but they all, you know, by the end, you do a lot of games, like trying to kind of break people up because when kids come into this room and the chairs are all set in a circle, they sit down and they cross their arms and you know, whatever. But we played some kind of really fun interactive games to loosen them up and to get them comfortable and to get them moving around and talking to each other. And I mean, I laughed hysterically. These kids are so funny. And then we took them on a tour of the farm and then I, I took them around and, and to, the first day, because most of the time they're not very comfortable around horses, nor have they ever been around a horse. These kids, most of them had touched a horse. Um, you know, they're very standoffish, but I had these two little angels. Debbie was holding bunny and I was holding Sancho and I gave them all brushes and Sancho has a really long mane. So I gave all the girls rubber bands and I was like, go crazy braid away. (laughs) And so these kids and Sancho is very, he's the one I had, he's very hairy and you could, the kids, you know, they reach out at the very farthest tip of their arm to, to <laughs> brush the horse, you know, like uh, leaning over to get the brush on him. And I'm like, okay, horses have a bubble. And this is such a, an amazing thing to communicate to these kids that, you know, it, you're outside the bubble. You need to get in that bubble because they're more comfortable or into pressure animals. I want you close to them. And you get closer to them and you brush them 
and you can see that they're brushing a little bit, but they're more paying attention to their other hand, which is like running through the horse's hair, you know, the clean, long hair, really long hair. And just the, the contact that I was able to encourage these kids to, to not worry. And Sancho, my God, he didn't move a foot the whole time. It <laughs> was amazing. Though. You, yes, I was so impressed. It, and this is a horse that was abused. He was a world champion past Peruvian Paso. And so he was, you know, broken down in, in Peru and then imported up here and he was a world champion. But at 10, you know, he was too old to do what they were going to do. And, and they, uh, sold him and sold him and sold him and nobody could catch him. He couldn't touch his ears. He was very damaged. And so the person who spent a lot of money on him ended up years ago, donating him to join up. And then, everybody here just kind of went to work on him and loved on him. And now he is the quietest little, it, it, it just touches your heart to see him. He did not move a muscle and he, they put their hands under his mouth and let him, I'm like, let him sniff you. And he kind of lip him, but you could see his teeth never opened. He's just like, hello. And he was so sweet and so kind. And these kids that I had to take the horses back as they were leaving, but they, Jerry, the guy who's uh, doing more of the, I do the horse stuff. He does the in-class stuff. He said that they were running up and, and thanking him. And they were screaming to me as I'm leading the horse away. Thanks, Jamie. (laughs) They just were elated from this group of kids that came in really quiet. that didn't know each other. They all are laughing and they get on the bus and they were here two hours. You know, that's just, it just shows what, what can be done with a horse in a couple hours. And, and this is my first experience with lead up. I mean, I've seen horses help kids before, but these kids, they need somebody to, to, you know, to, they need a horse, you know, they have some, some, some pretty heavy stuff. So now do, anyway, do they get to awesome. come back again today or is it a new group? No, they come back today and tomorrow. Oh, so today good. we're going to try to teach them. Monty's going to do a demo with join up uh, um, for them. And and then uh, I'm going to take them and kind of walk them through how we do the join up. And then we have Sancho who's going to be led around in a, uh, I'm going to set up an obstacle course so they can basically, you know, he's fairly big and they can manage him and lead him around, around the cones and over the poles. And I'm going to set up something pretty fun. So I'll let you know how it goes, but Day one, I was, I was shocked. And Jerry said that he's never seen kids so quickly gravitate to the horses. So hmm. I'm, I'm, uh, it was just awesome. Well, we've seen what they can do with special needs, right? And, you know, <laughs> these kids just have a different kind of special need. They, um, they have a lot of emotional yeah. damn. Uh, I mean, like some of the stories I heard, which I can't obviously tell yeah, on the right. air, are like break your heart kind of stories. So um, it's... It's really amazing to see children respond so well to horses and horses just get it, you know, like they just like Sancho just melted when these kids started touching him. It was really, really a beautiful thing. Cool. Very cool. Well, you certainly are getting some different and unusual things happening out there. And I know, and it's unusual for Monty to be home. This is his time of year where he's home. So, yeah, uh, I think the women are just ready for him to get out. Of I was going to ask him a week. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, do they keep these project horses like the one you worked on yesterday? Do they keep them around just to keep him busy while he's home? So just, <laughs> he's home. Oh, Monty's coming home. Me? We need three problem children out in the field. <laughs> Adopt three Mustangs. <laughs> yeah, Go. quick, quick. We need some trouble. We need some ones that can't be caught. That'll take him a whole day. (laughs) Yep. 
That's true. Funny. All right, I think we have Sally ready. A little early today, and I thought we'd get Sally to help us with uh, with doing our study show. That should be okay. fun. Let's see if she's here. Hi, Sally. Hey, how are you? Good. We Hello. have Sally from Heels Down and Heels Down Magazine and also Heels Down Happy Hour. So many things. So many things she's part of. Now, <laughs> Sally, you're going to help us out with something here because you're here a little early. And Jemmy's okay. a little under the weather and not feeling like talking too much. Uh, okay. I thought we'd get you to help us with study show. Now, what this is, is I take a search and do, do a Google search under study show, and I just limit it to the last month. <laughs> Okay. Okay. And we just go over the headlines, but I'll read part of the headline, and then you and Jamie can guess what you think the rest of the headline is. And All right. The whole point of this started years ago when we were making fun of how much money spent on obvious studies when we already knew the answer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, these are not complicated. No. These are just. I mean, and throw so out this is your not first groundbreaking. Guess. No. Okay. Got no. It. And, it's not uh, science. You know, funny answers are as good as the real answer, so keep All that right. in mind. All right, so uh, now there, the first batch of these have a holiday theme, so let's go with okay. those first, so keep that in mind. Right. Studies show chocolate may be... Sally. Good for mental health. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. She got it. Oh, okay. That's correct. Really? Yep. <laughs> See, like, Sally, the way this works is what I was going to say is good for your sex life. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much Jamie's answer to every study. Uh, so. I mean, that that is probably also true. <laughs> I'm sure there's also a study on that. Now, what's been interesting, Sally, over the years, I mean, years we've been doing these, is we have seen studies that show chocolate is not good for you, is good for you, should be ingested through your nose. We've seen every kind of study you, you can imagine on each one of these things, and they're all contradictory. How about studies show Black Friday attracts... Crazy people. That's that's a good answer. Yes, she's going to just nail them all. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the the truth. Black Friday attracts complete morons to Walmart. <laughs> also true. All also true. true. That the, is more accurate. <laughs> the study actually shows that you know, this is how ridiculous this is. Black Friday attracts large sales at stores. Oh, okay. that's a study. Somebody paid for that. Mind blown. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, we, we all thought My they weren't selling anything during the riots. Uh, studies show many will go in debt from <laughs> riding horses. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding! I got nothing better. <laughs> it was holiday shopping, but I think yours is better. <laughs> yeah. Again, we spent a that study. Only comes around once a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we spent a, we spent money on a study showing that we're going to go into debt buying presents. Big, uh, big surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, study, this is interesting, actually. Studies show which family member receives the fewest Christmas presents. Any guess? Grandma. Oh, guess ding, ding, grandma ding. Is. Sally, you're not we allowed are, to play this anymore. I am good at this. I'm not even funny. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> you know too what? seriously. What we do know, Sally, is is not pets. Mm-mm. <laughs> That's right. Pets get like the most Christmas presents. No, I can't even fill my dog's stocking right now because it, it's too much stuff and it makes it fall off of the shelf. So <gasps> I mean, she's one of those. My boyfriend's stocking is empty. So <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, I read this study. I actually read this one. And, and what they talked about, too, is if you're in a family with a whole bunch of brothers and sisters, who do you think gets the most gifts? The girls, uh-huh. the sisters. Is that 
or is that how technical we're getting or actually it's the oldest child i thought it would have been oh. the youngest i was the youngest, going the youngest yeah. but no it's the oldest child gets the most gifts. Wow. i'm the middle no so, in my yeah. house my my brother was oldest he got the most presents i can attest to that <laughs> <laughs> She's still bitter. I'm the oldest by like two months, but like we didn't. I don't think we any of. I don't think it. I think it was pretty even. Huh, That's Sally, interesting. Sally, Sally, I'm no doctor or anything. <laughs> do that. Yeah, I caught that too. I caught that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm older than my brother by 10 minutes. Like, but if there's two months in there, somebody did something wrong. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know adoption and stuff just saying i'm no doctor but yeah it seems weird studies show yeah. more more than half of adults have ruined um christmas by getting too drunk yes family events <laughs> i could tell you both drunk. came from the south um <laughs> No, that wasn't it, actually, but it's a good answer. Uh, more than half of adults have ruined Christmas dinner. By getting By too drunk. Too drunk. <laughs> <laughs> studies, show, blank. <laughs> studies show a third of people have blank a gift at Christmas. Returned. Oh, yeah, regifted. Regifted. That's yeah, it. Yeah, that's better. Jamie that's better. got it. Regifted yeah. a yeah. gift. Have you ever done that? I don't think I have actually. Do you know oh, what? Oh God, yeah. Do you know what the biggest gift is for regifting? Is wine, bottles of wine. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess that that would make sense. Yeah. Well, regift huh. them all to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jamie doesn't care. Jamie's what Jamie's address drinks. is. <laughs> she doesn't care what she drinks. Studies show eighty-two percent of Irish drivers will, and this is easy one. Drink and drive? Yeah, yes. Over Christmas, they will drink and drive. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, we all I didn't do. want to stereotype. And do, like, <laughs> I, I, don't worry, I'll go do ahead. It. It's fine. <laughs> and we all know those Irish horsemen. Uh, studies show New Jersey lacking. Oh, this. I'm sorry. I gave away the answer. Studies show that New Jersey is lacking in holiday cheer. You didn't hmm. give away the answer. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. You, there, you just gave away the answer. <laughs> studies show, this one, Jemmy, you have to answer. Uh, studies show Florida's Christmas spirit ranks blank in the U.S. I got to guess. Um, second. No, Come 49. Come 40, 40, 48th. Because behind that is Hawaii and then the hottest place on the planet right now, which is Arizona. We never had Christmas. <laughs> Actually, we have you beat. Florida's Christmas spirit ranks the worst of all 50 states. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. We went out and did Arizona, Christmas man. things all well, weekend, yeah. and it was fun. <laughs> we saw Christmas spirit everywhere we went well, this weekend. Well, in our defense, we have a predominantly Jewish population in some parts of Florida, so perhaps they just aren't in the Christmas spirit because it's not their thing. Well, like, <laughs> the Hanukkah spirit is number one in Florida. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then this is the last one of the holiday ones, and I have a couple <laughs> really funny regular ones. Uh, studies show 31% of wedding proposals take place. Christmas Eve. Yes, uh, correct. St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> <laughs> See, no, I would say yes to that, to that you know. <laughs> no, Christmas Eve is 31% mm. of all wedding proposals take Sally's place. Sally's yeah. good at this. Yes. Well, like it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I just take, I don't know. Well, first of all, I get on Facebook on Christmas Day, and I have like 18 friends that are engaged, and I'm sitting oh, over okay. here like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll just sit here. 
It's fine. <laughs> and so I'll just sit here and not fill my boyfriend's stocking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why he hasn't proposed yet. <laughs> okay, these are non non. Uh, I, I always have to do a sex one, or J- Jamie's not happy. So mm. studies show women get better sleep next to a dog. That is absolutely right. It is the dog. Yeah. (laughs) It's the dog. Are you serious? Yes, it's the dog. (laughs) How is that a sex study? Well, well, no, that's coming. Um, Studies show that (laughs) that millennials are in the midst of a. Oh, I know this one, so I'm not going to say. Oh, okay. Millennials are in the midst of a just existential crisis. <laughs> well, that kind of goes along with this. What yeah. was your answer, Sally? Well, I think I saw th- something about millennials are like having less sex or something. That's right. Like, a yeah. sex recession, they're calling it. Yeah. Oh, that's a fancy word for <laughs> not having sex. Yes, millennials. It's a dry spell. A- <laughs> it's a dry spell. <laughs> Millennials um, are apparently too busy to have sex. I don't know. I didn't read the study, so I don't know why. They're online. What? Eating avocados? (laughs) (laughs) Eating avocados and Instagram are ruining sex. (laughs) And apparently sleeping with the dog will help too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's funny. Would you come on here to talk about Sally? (laughs) Wait, I gotta stop. I gotta stop. I gotta talk to Sally real quick on a side note. Okay, Okay. Glenn, you'll actually find this interesting. So when I left Arizona, I had a bunch of students, you know, like Abby and Jen, all of these loyal, loving friends of mine that I've been teaching for years. And I referred them to a riding instructor that had just kind of started coming around in our area at a barn up the street. And her name is Danny. Mm-hmm. And I referred all my students and they're doing great and they're really happy. And do you know who Danny's best friend is, Glenn? No. Sally. Really? Yes. <laughs> I'm actually sitting in her kitchen right now. Are what? you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm here visiting. So I got to meet some of the students last night. So they're all doing great. It's just oh such a small, happy world. It is. Oh my gosh. Did you see Abby and how amazing and beautiful and wonderful she is? I, I don't think, oh, I don't remember you'll, her name. You'll see her because she's doing the Laney Clinic. Okay, see okay. Her? So, yeah. So, if I haven't seen her, I will see her. You will. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah so, she, is this the smallest horse world ever? Or it what, is Glenn? so, so small. Uh, okay. So. Well, please tell everybody that we're friends. And that I, I will. Thought, <laughs> and I'm so sad to miss Laney. I just did that for their <sighs> first inaugural horse trial for the one in Tucson that you're going to. Oh, and, okay. uh it's really fun. I rode with Barb Crable at the, um, I rode with her for years. So you yeah. can tell her hi too cool. if you know her. Yeah. My uh, old horse is with, um, one of her students now. So it's just like all a very small world aw. here in Arizona. <laughs> so yeah. She's doing the Laney clinic too. Barb is. And then my, my, the girl who's got my old horse is doing the Laney clinic as well. So it's going to be a big, happy family reunion. <laughs> can you believe Laney Ashker comes to Arizona and I don't live there, Glenn? <laughs> I know. <It's> crazy. <laughs> and Sally comes and you don't live there. I know. Yeah. And yeah. she's like uh, uh, down the street. I'm so mad. So anyway, please tell everybody hi and just tell Danny that she can call me when a certain particular student or two starts to really drive her crazy and she has questions <laughs> on how to deal with them. Just call me. I will let her know. I'm yeah. sure she'll know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man. Um, yeah. So I just, uh, I want, I guess switching tax really quick. I have kind of a, a somewhat sad announcement, but not really, but the December issue of 2018, um, for Heels Down magazine will actually be our last. We're actually going to move on to just digital platforms now. Um, so the December issue, we did kind of a best of 2018. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's start. You were always digital with the magazine, right? Well, we were always digital. So we're going to move only on to heelsdownmag.com and then have our podcast and then the Heels Down Brief, which is our email newsletter. So, you know, we've decided that we're going to consolidate and focus on these awesome platforms. And so we're oh, still so going to be writing still be the articles. Same they just won't yes. be in magazines. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, gotcha. Absolutely. So okay. nothing's really changing. Just the physical magazine um, will just basically be at the website now. So we're super excited because I, it's just <clears throat> kind of the way the industry's going, you know? Yeah. Nice work did, for well, you. Who was it that mm-hmm. combined with dressage? Did I see dressage today combined with somebody? Yep. Practical Horsemen. Which was kind of an odd pairing, don't you think? Well, they're owned under the same uh, media. Yeah, but umbrella, still. So, yeah. <laughs> like Practical yeah, Horsemen was always one of those that was kind of. You know, a little bit wet, a little bit everything, and then yeah. to combine with dressage today just seemed kind of weird to me. Of all the yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So we'll see. You know, I think it's I mean, impractical horseman is. You know, I subscribed to that when I was like five years old. So it's you mm-hmm. know, it's been around forever. Yeah. Um, well, know, they are so. are changing. I just did see a report. It's <clears> funny <throat> because I saw a report the other day that um, you know, obviously magazines are going away and they're going all digital like you guys. But mm-hmm. but when we were Jimmy and I stopped at Barnes and Noble, which by the way I hadn't been in. One in years. The magazine section's like 50 feet long, and I'm going, who's yeah. still producing all those magazines? Right. Like somebody's <laughs> still writing those. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta have something to read on the plane when you didn't want to pay for the Wi-Fi. <laughs> yep. Got it. <laughs> Got yep. it. I you know, and I love reading magazines. Like I still will go and pick up a magazine. I like the smell of the paper. I know that's weird, but I do. I just I still like it. So it just makes me a little sad. But you know, everything's going digital now, so we gotta keep up with the times. And it was far, fun, by the way. If you haven't been to Barnes & Noble a while, go back. It still brings back memories, oh, and it's still a fun place to hang out. And it smells great with the coffee cooking. So it does. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exciting, I think. I think yeah. that that's the way all, all of them are going. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. I think it's something that it makes our content more accessible to more people. Um, but, you know, you guys should definitely download the December issue. It's a really good one. We did kind of a best of 2018 um, for all the major disciplines. We have Laura Graves as our our spotlighted dressage person. Um, we have Janelle Price, who won two four stars in 2018 um, as our eventer of the year. And then we have Devin Ryan, the show jumper, who was on the U.S. WEG team as the uh, as the best show jumper which, by the way, you guys have to read this story, but Devin Ryan, actually, his first horse show that he did that was, like, his first big show, he had to camp in a tent because his parents wouldn't pay for a hotel room. Um, and he was working for George Morris at the time. And he told me this hilarious story. I won't be able to do it justice, but he told me the story about how his mom was like, okay, you know, we're going to go to the show for, like, two weeks. And I can't, you know, we're not going to be able to pay for you to stay in a hotel so you can camp. She got permission from the firefighters, the fire department. And he had to pitch a tent and then he had to go shower, I, I don't know, in some broken, decrepit shower that was filled, like basically being used as a storage unit for folding chairs. <laughs> and then he had to like fix the pipes to even get the water to run. And this was, I mean, he was like 16 at the time. So this is how Devin Ryan, the great Devin Ryan, um, got his start in show jumping. So it's a really cool story because he really didn't take the same 
path that a lot of these younger show jumpers are taking. Are we not taking, taking the so. same path as Gates Kid? Um, no, 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 not not quite. <laughs> it's not her fault. She's a bazillionaire. It, it is not. No, it's not. But you know, it's it's just it's kind of cool to see people like that. That you know, he didn't do his first FEI event until he was like. 30 something. Um, so, you know, if that's inspiration for anybody, it should be, it, it really should be, um, you know, and then we, and we also 30 is a, so old. Oh my it God. It is so old. So old, but I mean, in, <laughs> horse, in horse careers, you know, it kind of is honestly, yeah. I mean, at least that's how it feels. Um, so anyway, you know, we have a lot of really cool kind of year end recap stories that we're doing, um, in the December was, issue. So it's really cool. What was your favorite of the year? You know, <sighs> I, I got to say that I really enjoyed talking to Janelle. Um, you know, she, she's just such an inspiring, you know, female athlete and, and, and not, you know, just the fact that she wins two four stars on two mayors that aren't, you know, Janelle what Price you would picture on the about, flat. Right? Janelle Price. Yes. Yep. Janelle Price. She's from New Zealand. Um, she's an eventer. She's, you know, the sweetest lady. Um, her husband also events. So he actually also won a four star this year too. So it's just been a really good year for their family. Um, you know, but you'd never know talking to her that she's as successful as, successful as she is. And, um, you know, I just had a really good time chatting with her while she was driving through the night to her horse show. So it was a fun article to write for sure. Very good. Cool. And, yeah. I, you know, I was really glad I took a, I, t- I was relieved that you didn't say that you were, uh, that Heels Down Happy Hour was going away because oh my gosh. you'd have I don't thousands of rabid away. fans that would be beating no. you up. So. I know. I'm, I value my life too much for that to happen. <laughs> that, you know, I, you know, one of the highlights for my year for Horse Radio Network is how you guys have taken that show and how it's grown and how it has become that kind of this cult classic. Yeah. Already. Yeah. Yeah. It really has, you know, and I, I, you know, I have not been, I was not a host at the very beginning. I kind of, I kind of came in, um, you know, about a third of the way through and it's just been so much fun. You know, I'd never really done anything like that before. And, you know, the three of us just have such a good time. And it's so cool to see people that, that post in our group and afterwards and they're like, you know, it's so relatable what you talk about. And, you know, we're just talking about horses. It's nothing to us. It's just like a normal conversation, but you know, to have that kind of impact is, is, uh, very, very, it affects me a lot. Like it's, I, I wouldn't believe, I, I can't quite believe it. <laughs> it. It's so funny because I see, especially in the auditor room, I see Rose and Thorne being referenced now. <laughs> so that's become a thing too, you know, it's become I its know. own thing. <laughs> yeah, it really has. Everybody, like all the guests that we have like to play it with us. So it's just like a fun thing to do. I don't know. I don't know how it became so popular, but it did. Yeah. And you know, it is, uh, and I think, I think that's your, you know, people listen through to the end of your show just to get to Rosenthorn. I agree. Yeah. yeah. That's how we, that's how we make them listen to the whole thing. Right. right? It's just, you know, <laughs> psychological manipulation. Yes, right. <laughs> well, you guys have done a great uh, job with it. Congratulations on the success of that. And, uh, oh, thank you. you know, the other thing that you're going to be able to do <clears throat> better with the new setup is you're going to be able to be timelier on your articles because you won't have to wait for publication. Right. So sure, you can get yeah. them out, you know, get them yeah. out today. It doesn't matter. Right? Yeah, so. yeah, for your sure. rabid fans. Yeah, my ra- yeah, our rabid fans. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think we've really found a good a good niche of where where we fit in as far as like really writing stuff that people relate to and writing stories that people you know don't necessarily know about. So you know that's kind of our bread and butter, and that's where we're proud to be. All right, sounds good. Go girl. So uh, all right. So th- thank you so much for joining us, Sally. It's uh, heels down happy hour and heels down mag right. 
Yep, that's it. All right, we'll okay, talk to you. When you see Abby tomorrow, I want you to walk up to her and squeeze her and say, that's from Jamie. Okay, I will do that. Okay. And if she gets weirded out, I'll just she will. say it's she will. Don't worry, Jamie. <laughs> but then tell okay. her, yeah, tell her it's from me. And she'll be like, oh, well, that's why it's weird. <laughs> okay, it's that's cool. Sounds good. All, All right. right. Thank you so much, Sally. Right. And have Thanks. a good holiday. We won't talk to you yeah. till the new year. So have yeah, a great you holiday. you guys. Have a good one. All Merry right. Christmas. Happy New Year. Have you fun with Lainey. I will. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. All right. So the next piece, we're not going to play for the live listeners. We're going to put it on the recorded show. So you can just uh, skip ahead and go take a listen to this if you want. Uh, we have uh, Steve Krause, who's from the Cornell, uh, Cornell College Farrier Program, Cornell University. And he talked a lot about wet weather hoof issues. So that's coming up next on the recorded feed. If you're having a trouble with that, this would be a good one to take a listen to. This was an interview we did in the past. For right now, we're going to go. Jamie, we'll talk to you next Monday. We got a substitute co-host on Friday as you're heading home. And uh, tomorrow we have Mary Kitzmiller will be here with the, her training episode. So look for that then. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, everybody. All right, everybody. Spay neuter guild. Have a good one. All right. Hold on, everybody, for the interview. Well, I got together with Cornell University Farrier Program Director Steve Krause, as we do on a monthly basis, and we had a little chat about uh, the ho- types of issues your horse can have during wet weather, because lots of places in uh, the world right have now. very, very wet fall and autumn seasons. So uh, this is what we talked about. Here, This is for you, Texas. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you doing this month? Good, good. Everything's fine. We have nice, uh, uh, beautiful fall days up here in Ithaca, New York. Oh, yeah, that's the part of the country where fall is really beautiful. Let us get on with the subjects at hand. And interesting that you talked about wet weather uh, late in mid- middle and late summer, because today it's all about hoof issues your horse is likely to have and you to suffer with during wet weather conditions. So start us out with that, Steve. Well, that's probably the worst um, uh, weather for farriers or farriers that are shooting horses in um chronically wet climates. Um, when I've traveled around the country, and so I'm mostly familiar with the Northeast, um, I've done some shoeing down in South Florida also, down in, around Wellington, but I've, get, I've gotten to travel all around the country, and definitely climate and soil and weather conditions have a major impact on horses' feet and, and where they live, and certainly there's variations within seasons and, and, and areas also. So definitely there's uh, probably one of the most major impacts is moisture conditions, whether, you know, certainly the two extremes have the most the worst effect. Um, but uh, wet weather, constantly wet weather, especially when uh, the horses are not adapted to that, will give you uh, a lot of problems to deal with. So if you have a horse that has been living in very dry conditions, for example, you're in the desert states or in California, for example, yeah, and you ship in because you're going to spend the winter season doing the indoor circuit and you move into an area that has just been uh, living through a wet spell, um, right? what might you see with that horse versus a horse that's been living that in that particular area all season long? Well, the things that are going to absorb moisture. Um, and, uh, it's going to almost appear like the feet are growing, um, uh, because, uh, uh, you know, they, they expand with the extra moisture content and it's not like a sponge, but kind of like a sponge, you know, it's not going to absorb it as fast as a sponge, but 
you're definitely going to see issues where nice, hard, durable feet are starting to turn into um, softer, less durable feet. And um, obviously, shod horses versus unshod horses, you're going to have more of an impact on the unshod horse right away because he's got nothing to stabilize the foot. Um, and when they're in these chronically dry climates, period, then the feet are always you know, soft and, and less durable. That's interesting that you say that you're going to notice a big difference in the unshod hoof versus the shod hoof more quickly. What are some examples of things that your average horse owner might look at and say, ooh, what's that from that, that is caused by this sudden influx of living in moist on moist ground? Well, well as the feet expand, um, the, uh, the, the horn tubules are, are like um, absorbing water. And they're expanding, so it appears like the foot is growing faster. But it's probably not growing faster, but it's it has more moisture content to it. So it'd be like taking, um, if you look at uh, a soft wood versus hardwood, hardwood would be like the hard, durable um, hooves that you have in really dry climates. And soft wood would be like, you know, uh, you know the faster-growing, like evergreen-type, you know, trees. And so now you have a, a less durable, more space be- between the cells, so to speak. Um, so the feet haven't grown more, but they appear to grow more because they absorb more moisture, and now the cells are um, less tightly packed. So you have a less durable foot. Interesting. So the the now is there. Are there different things that we might see as a horse owner looking at our horse's feet or, and picking them up and cleaning them out with continuously wet weather versus um, quickly alternating wet and dry and wet and dry? For example, it's muddy and wet outside, but every day your horse comes into the stall and spells tw- spends 12 hours on dry shavings, so his feet get really dry and then really wet when he goes back out. Are there different things that we're liable to have to deal with between those two? I think if a horse is like alternating daily back and forth between whether it be some turnout where it's moisture and then going into dry conditions, I don't think you're going to see that much of a change that rapidly. I think you're going to actually have a nice moisture, you know, balance of the foot that way. But if it's, for instance, if you uh, start off the summer around here and let's say it's um, really wet and the feet are, again, absorbing lots of water, um, and they're, you know, they're, they seem to be very growthy, but they're not very durable. They fall apart easy. And then all of a sudden, so, so now when you, you shoe these horses, if they're in, you know, working, you know, conditions and you shoe these horses and everything is, uh, fits up really nice and, you know, they're nice feet to work with your tools because they're softer. And then all of a sudden the rain stops and it doesn't rain for a few weeks. And everything dries out, and all the conditions the horses are living in are dry, dry, dry. And now, over time, these feet, even though they're growing, they're sort of tightening up at the same time. So shoes that would normally not be loose are loose. They're, they're like clattering. You know? So it changes the whole shoeing cycle. Uh-huh. Um, when you have, like, weeks of one thing and weeks of another thing, you know, an opposite over a period of several weeks, that's when you see the big changes. So would that be a little bit like um, when we're talking about the shoe staying tight, so you've got a nail through the hoof wall, you put a nail into a piece of 
uh, a two by four that you bought at the outdoor lumber mill during a wet spell and you put a nail in there. Now, nine months later, you've suffered through the driest summer on record. The nail that you put into that two by four is likely to feel a little bit loose because the wood that you put it into has literally shrunken. A better analogy would be if you um, are building like a, a barn barn. And you're lining the barn with some, uh, you know, fresh sawn uh, wood, and you put up everything nice and tight, and you have no cracks between the boards lining your barn. And now they're out of the weather, and they're drying up. And then six months later or less, there's huge cracks because the wood is now seasoning and drying out, and the boards are shrinking. And maybe some nails are coming loose too. So it's probably better to use power screws than nails. Yeah, interesting. So if you're going to be in consistently wet conditions in that everywhere you ride is wet, the horse gets washed off every day, there's dew on the grass, are you better off – what's the – how do I want to put this? Are are your shoes going to get loose faster necessarily because because their foot stays moist? The guys uh, in South Florida that, you know, shoe – it's not only just the the rain – but it's the humidity also in the air, too. High humidity, constantly bathing the horses. So those horses have to be, uh, and these are show horses, they have to be on a, a tighter chewing cycle um, because the feet, you know, are not growing quicker, but they're just more growthy looking, and the feet are easily falling apart. It's like if your fingernail is uh, grows out and you're doing any kind of work with your hands, you're going to chip that and break it. You know, you have to keep your fingernails cut short. And I even noticed when I was in Florida, I had to cut my fingernails more often. Interesting, really? <laughs> That's and they interesting. were softer. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So as far as as um, shoes staying on and growth, you're going to see changes between consistently dry weather and consistently wet weather. What about um, hoof health issues with rot and crud and slime and stinkiness when it comes to wet weather? Well, certainly the the stuff that are is not great for the foot, like you know uh, fungi and bacteria and mold and all these microorganisms that we can't see that actually eat um, horny hoofwall materials, sole, frog, and uh, cause uh, white line disease and thrush and other things you don't want to have happening to horse feet. They thrive in moisture conditions, and so. Um, a, a good practice for shoeing in, in the wettest climate, uh, especially, uh, is to, uh, hot fit all your shoes and, you know, and really be, you know, do a pretty good job of that. And that does a couple of things that dries the outer edge of the, the end of the, the foot where you've trimmed up. It, it like cuts off all that moisture transfer in and out of the foot. It, it sort of seals things up and it also, you know, wherever that shoe touches, hot shoe, is going to kill all the bacteria and fungi and uh, molds that could be living on that and, and trying to find a, a, an opportunity to penetrate something. That's a good so point. These There's are not, all helpful. That shoe is really, 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 really hot. About how many degrees is that horseshoe when the fairy It's about 1,000 degrees. Uh, we normally hot fit, so it's lost its incandescent color. We've been forging, putting a clip on it, or shaping it properly, or doing whatever modifications we have. Then we walk over to not only check the fit, but to actually, you know, burn a little, a little bit, not a lot. You don't want to do it excessively. And and if 
if you have a nice flat shoe that almost fits, you can burn and scorch the bottom of the foot, and that tells you if you've got any high spots. And it also will kill all the stuff that's trying to, you know, enter the foot that you can't see. And then when you look at the shoe itself, you see a burn mark, which tells you where your shoe fits, where it's too full, not full enough, and you can adjust it from those burn marks on the shoe. So hot fitting serves a lot of purposes for the barriers that, that use it, and, um, and especially in these wet climates. Um, we had a very wet summer up here several years ago, and everybody was calling me up like, what do I do? What do I do? My feet are falling apart. I can make sure you hot fit everything. Interesting. And, um, yeah. and that helps. That helps in the wet climates. Interesting. So hot fitting is a real help. Now, when it comes to hoof conditions like thrush and white line disease or what they used to call CD toe or even canker for that matter, can is using some type of antifungal agent designed for those diseases, Can you? is it smart to use that stuff preventatively? In other words, my horse doesn't have thrush, but I'm going to treat him with product A four times a week so he doesn't get thrush? Not necessarily. I mean, if you if the horse is susceptible or living, you know, I see horses up here that sometimes during, you know, like the winters that are in run-in sheds and, and, and large amounts of horses where maybe things aren't cleaned up on a regular basis. And these horses are walking in muddy uh, conditions. And some of these horses have beautiful feet. They don't, they're not getting thrush or canker or anything because of the, you know, the conditions, the wetness. And then there are other horses that are living in beautiful conditions and nice clean stalls that develop this stuff. And certainly if a horse is susceptible to these things and some of it's a, uh, immune system problem, some of it's confirmation that the horse is screwing his foot in the ground all the time or not landing and loading properly, making fissures, pulling his frog apart, these horses are more susceptible to thrush than are not landing and loading properly. So, you know, some horses are, can tolerate it and some can't. Um, but, uh, being proactive, I think an easier, more economical way to be proactive, which I think a lot of people have gotten away from, is to use hydrated lime in your stalls underneath. Oh, and underneath I think that the bedding. Okay. A lot of, yeah. And cleaning stalls regularly and, and, and just using, I would, you know, uh, hydrated lime around where horses are living is, uh, we've gotten away from that because it's, kind of like, you know, it's it's messy if people get, you know, white powder or marks on their clothes or their boots. But really, that solves a lot of problems. Interesting. Now, if you're using a product that is labeled for um, treating thrush or white line, is there necessarily harm in using it if your horse does not have those conditions? No, not at all. Anything that they could buy over the counter should not be able to harm a horse. Okay. And that's why there are a few things that may be a prescription or compounded that you would need a, a veterinarian's prescription for. You know, for instance, if you had something that had um, a DMSO in it and something that was more of a drug and using a DMSO to carry it in, then you would need a prescription and it, it could be used the way the veterinarian recommends it. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, the over-the-counter products like Duracell and Thrushbuster and those that help dry things up, they stain the active ingredient to the tissue, and so then it's lasting effect of it. Very good. Now, one final question when it comes to wet weather. Um, do topical hoof conditioners assist 
in, because if you read the really big print on the outside of the bottle, sometimes they'll claim this, keep right. the moisture level in the foot more stable. In other words, the uh, drastic change between wet and dry is narrowed a little bit, so you don't have that vast expansion and contraction. Can can hoof conditioners actually do that, or is that just something we think we're doing? Um, well, most of the water that enters the hoof either enters through the coronary band um, or, you know, from the bottom of the hoof, and water doesn't penetrate the actual hoof wall that well. But if you have fissures and nail holes, okay, you've opened up a spot where, you know, mm-hmm. excessive moisture and other things can get in. So things that really block that, like a beeswax-type um Hoof ointment, you know, conditioner might be helpful because it sticks, fills those holes. And so sometimes it's beeswax, and usually any of these things quite often have um, tea tree oil in it, and so it serves as an anti-microorganism. But, or or uh, something that actually coats it, makes a physical barrier like tough stuff, um, will shed the water, but will let the foot transpire, you know, the right amount of moisture that it's intended for. So like a, a coating like tough stuff will seal up old nail holes and shed, you know, your daily water, but you still have the bottom and the top. You don't put tough stuff on the coronary band. So you still have a certain amount of water entering the foot um, that way. But it will, you know, the other thing that any of these coatings that, you know, actually stays there do, it supports a weak wall. So if you put any of these coatings on once a week, and it has to be on a clean, dry foot, otherwise the stuff won't stick, um, now you're shedding excessive water and you're um, giving a physical um, strengthening to the hoof wall. Well, there you go. So use things according to their labels and not what they're not used made for. That's a good idea. And, uh, well, thank you very right. much, uh, Steve Krause, for joining us on the show again this month, and we'll be seeing you again soon to talk about more hoof topics yep i'm here whenever you need me and give us the name of the web the facebook page again um our 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 cornell farrier program is on facebook cornell farrier program for cornell farrier program we put interesting cases up on there and uh, we do field some questions directly uh from people too awesome thank you very much 